Hi, and welcome to the Renovate podcast. My name is Robert Newberry, and I'm on staff here with Renovate, which is a ministry in Fort Worth, Texas for young adults. We're continuing in our series in the Minor Prophets this week with Ben speaking on the book of Amos. We hope you enjoy. God is so good. Uh, I'm so encouraged that Jesus' name cannot be overcome. And I find so much confidence in that, just as a broken person in the midst of broken situations, that his name cannot be overcome. Um, our sin cannot overcome it. Our mistakes cannot overcome it. The brokenness and the circumstances around us cannot overcome it. Uh, that is how powerful our God is. And so would he, uh, would he stay in focus even through this sermon? How are you guys tonight? Good, uh, good, glad to hear. Um, I'm excited. This is week three of the uh, Minor Prophets series. And what we're doing is we are, if you're new with us, we're walking through these Minor Prophets. There's 12 of them in the Old Testament. They're at the back of the Old Testament. If you've got a Bible, start flipping there. Uh, we're going to be in Amos uh, tonight. And I would really encourage you to grab a Bible and be flipping there. Uh, maybe there's even one underneath the seat. Uh, and, uh, and just because I think, you know, some of you guys have it on your phone, but there's going to be some things I think is cool to be able to see on the page. Um, <clears throat> but what we're doing is this series is we're going to go through the prophets and we'll take a little break every once in a while. So we're going to go through four weeks of the prophets and we're going to come up for air and do a couple of weeks, um, in kind of a different series. And we're going to go back into the prophets and, uh, we'll kind of go back and forth from now until July in a couple of different series that I'm, I think I'm equally excited about just what God's going to do in both of them. But tonight is Amos. So... Here's how this is going to happen. I'm going to unpack big picture what in the world this book is about, okay? There's nine chapters in the book of Amos. We are going to fly through it. We're going to give a broad overview. Here's honestly my hope and my heart uh, is that, um, that I can help kind of unpack some things for you that you would continue to dig deeply. What I'm going to skip off the surface in my time in Amos tonight, uh, there's so much more stuff that I'm, I'm leaving here in this book that I'm not going to have time or take the time to cover. And so I really want you to have a good framework of like, okay, I see how this book is broken down, and I see what the context is, and for you to continue to dig uh, into it on your own. Next week is going to be Obadiah, and so maybe even get a, a head start on, uh, on that book. It's, uh, it's awesome. It is one chapter, so I expect you all to have it memorized by next week uh, when we get into Obadiah. So, but that's, that's where we're going. So big picture, uh, Amos. Amos was a shepherd slash fig tree farmer. We got any fig tree farmers here? Okay, okay, we got a good fig tree farmer population in that area, good. Uh, Is he shepherds, any shepherds? Nope, okay, cool. Um, He was from the southern kingdom of Israel, and he was going up to the northern kingdom, so the southern kingdom in Judah, going up to the northern kingdom in Israel to prophesy, and this is his nine-chapter prophecy to God's people in the land of Israel. Uh, Here's how the book breaks down, three parts. Part one is chapters one and two. And what happens in chapters one and two is the neighbors of Israel get called out, right? It is a call out of the neighbors of Israel. And I'm not gonna spend a lot of time explaining this right now because I'm gonna circle back around and we're gonna camp out and I really wanna illustrate this because I think there's something really, really cool that happens in these two chapters. Just know the first part of the book is two chapters of him just going through calling out all the neighbors of Israel, right? Then we get to part two. Part two is then calling out Israel, chapters three through six, and he zooms in on Israel. He zooms in on them, and he specifically calls out, here, Israel is where you have gone out of bounds. 
here's where you have strayed, here's where you have wandered, and he, and he calls them out. And um, <clears throat> look at uh, chapter three, actually, verse one. I want you to kind of have a, a picture of this. I'm not gonna throw this one on the screen. I just want, I want to read this over you or even for you to hear it. <clears throat> this is what he says. He says, hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. So hey, listen up. I saved you guys out of Egypt. Listen to what I have to say. He says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? The answer is no, right? He's going to have a bunch of rhetorical questions here. Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? And then verse seven, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, to his servants, the prophets. So he's saying, this is it. Chapter three, here we go, Israel. God is speaking for a reason. He doesn't do things without a reason. He's doing it for a reason. He is speaking. And then in verse eight, he says, the lion has roared, who will fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? And so he starts off this second part of, of the book of Amos, just saying, hey, God is speaking and he is now calling you out. And he's saying, the lion is roaring, are you going to be afraid of it? Because that is the reaction that you should be having. And then he goes off uh, from, from chapters three through six on here is where you are out of bounds in this prophecy. Uh, then the third part of the book picks up uh, part three in chapter seven through nine, uh, really seven through eight and a half, or excuse me, nine and a half, uh, but we'll, we'll kind of, uh, I'll kind of explain that here in a second uh, at the end, but there's a, a really cool um, a really cool um, aside that he does at, at the very end of the book. But for the most part, the rest of the book is then God showing them the consequences of their sin. So we've got calling out the neighbors, calling out Israel, and then consequences of those sin for the, for the last chapters. Let me, just because I want you to see it, I want you to put your hand on it and, and see what God does here. Look at chapter seven, if you've got your Bibles. Look what he does in verses eight and nine. Pick it up in the middle of verse eight. He says, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. Right, that would have been a, a line to be able to make sure the foundation is correct. Right, a plumb line would have determined, is this foundation correct? It would have been an ancient tool that they use there. And he's saying, I'm setting that tool to check your foundation in the midst of the people of Israel. I will never again pass by them. In the high places of Isaac shall be made desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. There's consequences. There's consequences and he comes in swinging. And look at chapter eight. Just glance over a little bit of chapter eight. In verse four, he says this. Again, these consequences of this God who is taking their disobedience so seriously. He says, hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell again and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? So what he's saying is he's calling them out. One of the major areas he's calling them out for in this time was the way they treated or didn't treat the needy and the poor. This was a nation that at the time, Israel was maybe as prosperous as it had ever been. And there are people who are not doing what God called them to do to take care of the needy and poor. 
I want to preach three whole sermons just based on the richness of those people being called out because of their apathy towards those who are on the fringes and the marginalized. Uh, I'm not going to do that, but it's there. And the condemnation that God has and the seriousness in which he takes his people's obedience to him, the fact that he says, man, you're just waiting for this festival to be over so you can go back to selling things and making money. You don't actually care about these festivals that are in celebration of me. You just want to get back to making money and not taking care of the poor the way I've commanded you to. And so he is laying out hard circumstances, hard consequences rather. That's the book of Amos laid out. Uh, There's this little ending that we're going to talk about at the end of my sermon that is is pretty important. Um, But that's what he does. It is a book of judgment, man. It is a book where Amos was not a popular guy. Nobody liked this guy. He got invited to zero parties. He had zero friends, zero likes. Zero, like he just was not a fun guy to hang out with because he was a prophet who was saying, guys, Yes, look at all your neighbors. Look at your sin. There are consequences for your sin. There are consequences. Turn, turn, turn. Stop wandering. Here's what I really want to camp out on. And here's here's something really interesting that's happening. And I'm actually going to need some volunteers for this. Um, In part one, he uh, he calls out his neighbors, right? And so... I want to show you something that happens. Uh, We have uh, a map here, and everybody in your Bibles, flip to chapter 1. In my Bible, it's page 764. Is anybody actually using one of the Bibles underneath the seats? Will you tell me the page whenever you get to it of chapter 1? What is it? Is it 764? We have the same page numbers of our Bibles? Wow, guys, who would have thought... Yeah, I guess that's the printer. They would do that. Oh, man, that map's tiny. Okay, so um, here's, uh, here's what we're going to do. So uh, in this chapter, right, I want you to see what's happening when he calls out his neighbors, okay? So I actually need some, uh, some uh, help in this. So in verse 3, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. So he calls out Damascus first, right? So Damascus, I have a better map here. I need a a volunteer from the audience. Can I get a volunteer from the audience? I'm going to end up needing 80 of you guys, so go ahead. Yeah, come on up. Okay, so a volunteer from the audience here. Okay, good. I actually need one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I need seven people. Yes, thank you. I need five more. Five more people. Yes. Well, there, there. Okay, good. I think we got it. Yes. One, two, three, four. I, actually, Kyle, I think you're off the hook. You might be off the hook, Yarbrough. Hey, guys, way to go. Thanks for joining me on stage. Okay. If, Yarbrough, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, I'll, uh, I'll let you know. Okay, so Damascus. You're going to be Damascus, okay? Everyone, this is Damascus. He calls out Damascus. You are a sinner, right? Then he goes and he calls out Gaza, Okay. Calls out Gaza, you're a sinner. Then he calls out Tyre, you're a sinner. Then he calls out Edom, okay, you're Edom. Okay, remember who you are. Did you guys already forget who you are? You're you're Tyre, okay, you're Edom. You're the Ammonites, okay, you're Moab. I need one more, where's Yarbrough? Yarbrough, get up here, bro. Yes, I was actually hoping, I was hoping. Okay, Yarbrough, you're gonna be Judah, okay? All right, so here's what he does. He systematically, do you see it in your Bible, right? 
Verse three, he calls out Damascus. Verse six, he calls out Gaza. Verse nine, he calls out Tyre. Verse 11, he calls out Edom. Verse 13, he calls out uh, the Ammonites. Chapter two, verse one, he calls out Moab. And then in chapter two, verse four, he calls out Judah. Let me show you something really cool that happens. Okay, you guys ready? Okay, here's what I need. You guys can't see that map. So I'm gonna pretend to be Israel. We gotta, we, you need to understand the geography of this. So here's Israel, all right, in the middle. Israel on this map, you guys can see it, right? Israel actually, you can show, right? It's got the big blue Israel letters, all right? So <laughs> Damascus, where's Damascus at? Damascus, Damascus, I need you to come stand over here. So this is north, everybody tracking with me? This is south, which makes this? Oh, uh, this is north, guys. <laughs> this is west. This is, we got some Baylor Bears in here. This is east right here, okay? Okay. Okay, I need you to stand over there, all right? I'm kind of in that back corner by the door. Okay, I need, uh, I need Gaza. Gaza is over here to Israel's west. So go stand over there by that cross on the wall. <clears throat> Who's next, fellas? Tyree. Okay, Tyree, I need you to come stand over here by, kind of by, the, by Todd back there in the back row. Okay, so a little bit closer than Shannon. We've got Edom. The Edomites were over here in the east, so come stand over here. Okay, you're next. What were you? You're the Ammonites. Yeah, Ammonites are a little bit further south here. You're sliding up here pretty much due east. You're right here. Uh, then we've got Moab. <clears throat> yeah, okay, calm down. They're sinners, all right? They're getting completely called out on their sin. Moab would be, you're not, I'm not well, I'm going yeah, to make you stand in this gap right here, okay? Because you're closer to Israel, a little bit south of Israel. And then you've got Judah, so Yarborough, you're right here, okay? And you're going to stand in the gap of those chairs right there. <clears throat> so just go with me here for a second, because this is important. Hey, man. Okay, so here's what's happening in two chapters of this book. Amos is very, very, oh, by the way, if you're podcasting, I'm so sorry. This makes no sense to you. You have no clue what's going on. I apologize. Here's what's going on. He is systematically calling out neighbors in geographical locations, and he is systematically spiraling closer and closer and closer and closer to Israel. So he starts out there, and then he goes here, and he goes here, and he starts cycling around, and what's happening in Israel is they're saying, yeah, Moabites suck. Yeah, the Ammonites are awful, right? Oh, yeah, man, they're the worst. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then it starts getting closer to home, right? It's like, okay, yeah, Judah, which is their neighbor, right? Like literally just to the south of them, right? Their neighbor. Yeah, Judah, man, yeah, they are, they are messed up, right? And, it, and, and then he lands on Israel. And he spends three chapters on Israel. Hey, you guys are champs. Thank you very much. I think my point has been made. <clears throat> you didn't have to clap, but they didn't do anything hard. It wasn't that hard for them, okay? I'm the one who had to memorize geography. Um, so here's what I want us to see. Here's what I I don't want you to miss in this book. And there's, there's, please, there's so much good truth in this book, but, but for where I'm going tonight, I just want, I want to be able to unpack one big idea and then just say, man, how do we apply this to our life? He, Amos, God's Holy Spirit through the prophet Amos is strategically calling out the sin of other people and Israel is nodding their head, nodding their head, nodding their head until eventually it is on them and all of a sudden it becomes very, very, very uncomfortable for them. And all of a sudden the magnifying glass is no longer looking at other people and their sin, 
It's now on God's people, them, those who are receiving the prophecy. They would have had two chapters of just head nodding, amen, you're right, those people are sinners. And then God says, but look at you. You are the only ones I've ever really known. You are my people who I have known, right? And in this intimate way, you are those people who I have brought out of captivity. Here's what I believe God has for us to see tonight from the book of Amos. If you, if you do not see your sin correctly, then you cannot follow God properly. If we don't have eyes to see our sin, if we become consumed with looking at other people's sin, we're good at that. We're good at even hearing sermons and applying it to other people. We're good at, at putting other people in, in the scale in us and making ourselves feel better. But if we, if we don't see our sin properly, correctly, see our sin correctly, then we can't follow him properly. We need his standard to be revealed to us, and we need to be revealed to say, Lord, be gracious to show us. Show us where we are not in line. Show us where we are out of bounds. Reveal to us so that we might see our sin properly, correctly, so that we can follow God properly. What does that mean? Um, I, uh, I just, my wife and I just closed on a house. Shout out Samson McLean. So we bought a house. Yep. Uh, and in that house, I am going to, uh, over the course of the next couple months, guys, I'm going to be building a deck. Guess what? You're probably going to hear a lot of illustrations that renovate about deck building, right? <laughs> There's going to be a lot of, man, that guy talks about decks a lot. Um, so I have been doing a lot of deck research. All right. I promise I'll just maybe, maybe give me two max illustrations on deck building. So I've been doing a lot of research on it, and there's several things. I'm going to build this deck, in theory, right now, to the left of my house, to the west of my house is where it would be. And so I've decided, man, I got this deck. We've got some money saved up for it, and I'm going to build a deck. So there's a few things at play here. One, there is a property line that runs relatively close to my house that the old deck that was built crossed it, that when we get rid of the old rotted deck and we build a new deck, that, that we're going to have to relearn where the property line is. And so what's happening right now is we've got somebody doing a survey of our property who's going to have some cool, fancy fluorescent tape that stretches along poles in the ground to show a line of what is our boundary and what is out of our boundary. Um, at the same time, I'm going to have to measure things properly because if I get some measurements wrong, I'm going to have to make sure it's level, that the beams that I put up here are going to be the same level of the deck that are on the opposite side of the deck, all of those things I've got to see properly, right? We, the plumb line illustration that Amos gives, this is what he's talking about. He, he's talking about this tool that measures the foundation of, of where we're at and how, we, uh, how we're able to have a standard to be able to live our life in a way that glorifies God. That standard of how we determine what is sin and what is not, that standard is Jesus's way. That standard is God's way of living. That standard is this, right? It is his revealed word that he has given us to say, man, let me help you understand the standard and the foundational line and the boundary and how you measure to this, how you are to live and how you are to obey and how you are to worship and how you are to serve others by the standard that God sets before us, gives us the Holy Spirit to help illuminate this for us so we might stay in line with that. Although it is so much easier to set my standard to feel good or bad about myself based on what other people are doing by my neighbors, 
Because then my standard is no longer Jesus's way of how he calls me to live. It's, well, I'm better than that neighbor. And I'm better than that neighbor. Well, and I don't struggle with this the way that person does. And I'm quicker to forgive than that person. And all of a sudden, and that's the easier way. And that, honestly, in my boat, like that is my default. My default wants to go to that as an arbitrary standard to set. We look at those outside of our walls and it becomes so easy to judge them, right? We, we so often judge non-believers and condemn them of their sins. 1 Corinthians 5, 2 says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? It's not my job to judge those outside the church. He goes on to say, are you not to judge those inside? That's my role. That's my role for other believers to be able to hold each other accountable, to be able to help and say, man, I don't know if we're measuring up to this and out of love and grace with a spirit of unity, be able to say, man, I don't know if this is correct in your life. Would you go look at this? Because here's the, here's the measurement I'm getting, and it, it's coming up short, and so out of love, and that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do, and yet instead, we look outside the walls so often, and we pick fights as a church outside the walls, and, um, and it's dangerous. We see the speck in someone else's eye, not the plank in our own. Jesus makes that illustration so beautifully. So why can't we see, right? Why can't we see so often our own sin? If the big idea to walk out of here is this, this really obvious and, and very specific illustration that Amos is doing of making sure you see, hey, yeah, it's really great when you're talking about your neighbors, but when you look at your own sin, it's way harder. And if this idea of the importance of us seeing our sin correctly is so important for us to be able to walk properly, then how do we do that? And why do I struggle with that so much? Why do, I, why do I find myself in these sin patterns? And why do I find myself continue to blind myself or be blind or ignore this sin in my life? How does that happen? What must we do to see it? And so I wanna give us two application points of, man, what do we do with this? If, that's, if this is about, okay, I wanna see myself properly, let me give two ways to say, to answer the question, what must we do to see ourselves properly? Ready? Here's the first one. Seek truth, not just affirmation. Seek truth, not just affirmation. Let me quickly give you a, a little running definition of seeking truth, and then I want to bring you to Amos chapter 5, where he is, it lays this out pretty explicitly. This book, right? Seek truth, not just affirmation. I, I alluded to it just a second ago. This is 66 books written by about 40 authors over the span of hundreds of years, all pointing to the same narrative, setting the same standard of holiness that our God desires. A God who sees broken people and meets them in their brokenness with grace and kindness, but also calls them to restoration. A God who goes into captivity and purchases his people out of captivity, frees them from slavery, us finding us broken where we don't belong, bringing us to redemption and restoration. This book is a narrative of that, and it is a guide for us, if you are a follower of Christ, to say this is his word. This is how I know what truth is. This is how I can define, Lord, how might you want me to live? This book is why that is so important to be in it, that we are a church that believes, man, we should be people who are in this who preach books, even unpopular books that aren't as fun to preach, who spend time studying and digging and saying, Lord, would you reveal yourself more? And he gives us this incredible Holy Spirit to help us understand it. And then he gives us community 
And he gives us community to be able to say, look, this is what I'm seeing. This is what you're seeing. And we don't get to just say, well, I choose to see it this way. Oh, okay, well, I'm going to, that we seek after the one truth. And he desires to be known here. God's way that we are seeking him. Let me, uh, let me take you to Amos 5. And I'll throw this up on the screen so you don't have to flip there. Amos chapter 5. Look at what, look at what he says here. This idea of seeking truth. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over into Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, right? That's the disobedience. That's outside of his walls. That's outside of where he, they should be living. And Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. Seek truth. If, if we need to see our sin clearly and we need to see our sin correctly in order to walk properly, then we have got to be people who say, okay, I don't just need affirmation. I need truth. And we are going to a God who offers grace and that allows us because of the foundation of grace we have, because of the adoption we have, that allows us the ability to be able to receive truth because our foundation is not insecure. I can discipline my children and my hope is that they don't crumble inside because they know my love is not, they're not going to stop being my kids even though I can tell them hard things throughout their life about mistakes they're making and about ways that they're veering off that we would have the security to know our God loves us and that we feel confident in that to say, okay, I want truth, not just affirmation. Guys, you can get affirmation over anything you want you will be able to find affirmation for any lifestyle you want to live, uh, any sin you want to be in, you will be able to find somebody who can still affirm you, who can still say, well, who, who either can see your sin and instead of lovingly saying, yes, yeah, that's, that foundation is wonky. Instead, you can find people who will say, oh man, God's grace. You don't need to worry about a wonky foundation. God doesn't care about that. Man, it's just, right? And they are well-meaning, I think, oftentimes. You can find whole parts of our culture, obviously, that don't even believe in a standard. And so obviously, you will be able to find anybody to endorse anything you want. You will always be able to find somebody who will affirm you. And that is dangerous. Because man, affirmation feels good. And truth is scary. Affirmation and pats on the back, that feels good and encouraging and validating, even if it's validating a horribly wonky foundation, even if it's validating a foundation that's out of line. But that feels so much better to receive. You will be able to find validation for relationships that the Holy Spirit and even this book would say run from. You'll be able to find of lifestyles of any choice in your life and so when we say, man, we've got to see ourselves correctly, my first application to you is be a people who seek truth, not just affirmation. Real practically, be people of the word of God. Be people who say, man, out of the love that I have for a God who loved me despite all of my crooked foundation, out of my love for a father who's already fully adopted me, I want to live in a way that honors and reflects his perfection in my life. Even though we know we'll never get there, but I want to live and I want to glorify him. Then I got to be in this book. You have got to be in this book. They were called to be in this book. They were given the law 
hey, go back to it. You have wandered from it. This is God's word. Be in it. Seek counsel, but seek biblical counsel. Seek counsel that is there to line up with this. And if you don't know if it lines up, then hear it, receive it, and then go to this and say, man, does that line up? And if you don't know this well, then find other people who do. This room is full of them. This room is full of home group leaders. It is full of staff members. It is full of people who, who might be two steps ahead of you in their walking through being people of this book. And they would love to walk with you. Reach out to Find community of other people who say, man, this is our plumb line. This is our standard. Let's live by it. Let's learn. Let's be in this book. Find biblical counsel. Spend time in prayer. Time listening to the Holy Spirit with the Bible as your guide. Because I'm telling you, man, there are seasons in my life where it's like, yeah, I want the Holy Spirit to say this. And the heart is deceitful. And so, so often it can be dangerous. Man, I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me this. Really, I feel like how many people have gotten broken up with because of the Holy Spirit, right? Oh man, I just, I don't want to break up with you, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me to break up with you. Or how many people have been asked out because, hey, the Holy Spirit, I think, told me to ask you out, right? Like, that's not the same Holy Spirit that tell, the Holy Spirit didn't tell me to say yes to you. Like, that, the, the, the subjectiveness of that is dangerous, The Holy Spirit is alive and active and we ignore him way too much. But this is a rudder to be able to help discern what is the spirit of God and what is gas, right? What is the spirit of God and what is just, man, I really got a crush on that person or man, I really have some of my own fears and insecurities. What does that look like? Listen to the Holy Spirit, but be people of the word of God. Seek truth, not just affirmation. Also, side note, be people who give truth, not just affirmation, right? Be be somebody else who gives truth and not just affirmation. And that is hard. I honestly hate it. (laughs) I, I, I don't like doing that, but I know that it's loving and I don't always do it well. Sometimes I don't do it at all. Sometimes I just cop out or sometimes I'm not really walking closely with the Lord and I take the easy way out. I, I do that way too much. And, and other times I just don't handle the truth well and, and it's not really, uh, even if I could be right, there's a level of my own pride attached to it. I butcher that all the time. But my encouragement is, yeah, be people who would speak truth and you've got to know truth to be able to speak it gently and graciously. That's hard. It's really hard. You're going to lose friends over it, at least for seasons, You're going to have to love God more than you love the approval of man to do that. That's super hard. That's super hard for me to love God and trust him and do, say the hard thing as opposed to, as as opposed to maybe trying to not lose a friend or not offending somebody who's then going to think I'm mean. It's so much easier. Chapter five, verse 10, Amos says this. He says, they hate him who reproves in the gate and they abhor him who speaks the truth. That's what you're signing up for. That's what you're signing up for. It's worth it. We trust him. Seek truth, but also be somebody who will speak truth as well. So here's my second and, and last application point. In this quest to say, okay, how do I see more correctly? Seek truth and then respond to truth and follow him, right? Seek it and then respond. It. Man, I've been called out on a lot of things in my life that I will receive in the moment and then I will not respond. A lot of the sin patterns in my life, folks, are sin patterns. 
there are things that happen. And I, and I look at myself and I think, man, why does this happen? Something we touched on even last week with why does that deadening of the Holy Spirit happen? And we, this is a pattern oftentimes where we might hear truth but not actually go and respond and do. And so my question is, what keeps us back from following after we know what's right? What keeps us from hearing that and then responding? And here's, well, here's what Amos says, verses 18 through 24. I'll put it up on the screen. Chapter 5, verse 18 through 24, he says this, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and light and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. It's bad news. Or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts. All these fancy rituals, religious things you do. He says, I despise those. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, says the Lord. And the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice, listen to this, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. It's the end of chapter five in Amos. God doesn't pull punches. Right? I'd love to preach every sermon where I don't ever have to talk about a God that takes sin so seriously. We're in the Minor Prophets. We're going to talk a lot about that. He is a God who is gracious. He is a God who offers repentant, who offers repentant people forgiveness and restoration. But he is a God who takes sin seriously. And he comes out swinging. Why do so often I might hear and not actually follow? Because I think I fear the wrong thing because my fear is misplaced. Why do I hear truth but not respond to truth? I'm fearing the wrong thing. God clearly is not afraid to be a big, awesome, ominous God who says, I will wipe you out. His discipline is his grace to make me realize this God is serious. My sin is serious. And I think so often, Instead of fearing God and what he wants in his way and how damaging my foundation could be, instead I care more about what other people think. Or, or in this time with Amos, they cared more about their wealth and maybe your job status than what it means to live in truth and follow his way. And so they disregarded his way because they just wanted to climb up the ladder economically among the nations, right? Maybe, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe it plays itself out in a way that says, man, I don't, I don't want, I fear more being alone than I do not following God's way and laying the foundation that he calls me to. So my fear of being alone wages war with my fear that, wait, God's way is good and he's serious about it. And so I'm more worried about this and so all of a sudden I find myself prioritizing this. What it takes so that I don't end up alone. What it takes so that I don't get rejected. Whatever it takes, no matter if it's crooked over here, no matter if it's really true or what's really right, I want this because I'm afraid of what other people might think of me or success or rejection or failure. 
or, or fear of not being in control. And the fear of not being in control trumps the trust that God is in control. That fear so often wins in my heart. So often it wins in your heart. So when we say seek truth and we say, okay, I want to seek truth. And then we say, okay, well, why don't we, why don't we actually respond and follow him then? So often it's because we've got our fear out of place and we put our fear on the wrong thing. And we don't realize the power and the sovereignty of God and I lose perspective of that so quickly. And man, this relationship or this job or this choice that I'm making seems so much more tangible than the God of the universe who holds all things together. Who we sing about being better, being better, being better. Would our hearts believe that? We prioritize those other things over God's way. Would we trust that God is better? I want us to see that. I want to continue to see that, that he is better. And if you find yourself tonight in a place where there's maybe good, genuine conviction, man, praise God, what does it look like to reorient your priorities and say, I'm more worried about this thing that ultimately pales in comparison to who you say I am, to how you say I should operate, to how you say I should work in my job or function in my school or date or, or manage my money, all of the things that, God, you desire about me. And if you find yourself tonight feeling shame of not doing this well, or you find yourself with this misplaced shame of, man, I've wandered and I'm stuck, then would you also hear the grace and kindness of God who no matter how far we've gone, can restore. Chapter nine, the end of the book. Here's how he ends. Man, it is, it is nine chapters of consequences and sin and judgment. And look what Amos does. Well, look, what the, look what our heavenly father does at the end of this book. In that day, in this future day, in this day of restoration that we, we look forward to, in that day when we are repentant, right? In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, he, him who sows the seed, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Verse 14. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. This is our God. He restores those who are genuinely broken by sin there's consequences, but he is a God who restores. He is a God who restores. Man, would we believe that and would we see that? Would we stand honestly before God? Would we see our sin correctly, knowing that we're confessing before a God who's adopted us already if you are in Christ. And if you aren't in Christ, then this is what you're signing up for. If you have never surrendered your life to Christ, then what you are signing up for is to say, my life is not my own. I can't do it on my own. I can't be religious on my own. I need your righteousness. And you are putting your faith in Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins once and for all. And you get adopted. And so then we stand honestly before God and it is okay to stand broken. He will restore. Let me pray over you. Father, we, uh, we know your kindness leads us to repentance. And so God, in these moments, would we respond to that? Uh, would, we, would we stand broken before you? Would we see ourselves properly? Would we stop trying to prop ourselves up hide ourselves from a God who sees? God, would you be gracious to us by revealing the places where our foundation is not what you'd have for it to be? Would we be seekers of truth? Graciously show us that as a father who will never leave us and forsake us, would we come to you honestly so we might see clearly and correctly so we might follow you properly, Father. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace in our life that leads us to returning right back to you. We love you, God, because you first loved us and we are forever grateful. In the name of Jesus, amen. Man, praise God for that message. I think for so many of us, it's so easy to do what the Israelites did and start looking to all the other people around us. When we hear that term of repentance, we think, oh man, that guy really needs it. Or that was a really good sermon that so-and-so should have heard. And we're so quick to start thinking about other people and not take a good look at our own lives. But what we see from the scripture is that the Lord is challenging Israel and he's challenging us now to take that first hard look at ourselves. And if you're like me, that's so tough when it comes to repentance because I'm already so aware of all the ways that I fall short. And if I'm not careful, I start to believe that God is disappointed in me. And so it makes it really hard to repent out of a right mindset that this is going to lead to my true joy because I feel like God's already written me off. But what we know from scripture is that Jesus' work on the cross secured our future and gave us assurance of a right standing before the Father. And so now repentance is an act of obedience that leads to our true joy because we know that we already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Grace has bought that for us. And so now our challenge is to take that hard look at ourselves and start to see the ways that are robbing us of joy because we're being disobedient to God. And then we turn from those because we know that God is our true joy that we find our hope and our peace in him and we wanna run back to that. And so if you need help figuring out what that looks like, or you've never even tried repentance, I encourage you to reach out to us at renovateftw.org or on social media at renovateftw and we would love to help you through that. But that's all from us this week. We hope this message has been a blessing to you as it was for us and we'll see you again next week.